Well, would you please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, a familiar passage. And this morning, I want us to focus on just one verse. Well, let, me, let me remind you a little bit of the context of where we are. In this, in this chapter, the great apostle reminds the Corinthian Christians that when God's old covenant people were stiff-necked and disobedient, God dealt with them. And it wasn't always gently. God dealt with them. And Paul says, if God judged and disciplined His old covenant saints, how much more so His new covenant saints? So there's sort of this argument from the lesser to the greater. And so he warns them in verse 12, He that thinketh he standeth, let him take heed lest he fall. You think you're doing okay? Good. Be wise and be cautious. He speaks to them of temptation. And he teaches them that Christians don't have to sin. Even though they do. They don't have to. There's always a way to escape sinning. Even when one is sorely tempted. And if you think it's not possible, Paul says, God makes a way to escape so that you can bear it. So just remember, when you sin... You didn't have to. You didn't have to. Concerning what foods to eat, specifically what meat to eat, if Eric was here, he would say, amen, specifically what meat to eat. In 1 Timothy 4, 4-5, Paul had taught, every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified or set apart by the word of God and prayer. 1 Timothy 4, 4 through 5. One of the reasons why we say the blessing is to sanctify our food. And here in 1 Corinthians 10, he gives some guidance concerning the brother with the weaker conscience. And you're familiar with this. He teaches... Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Quoting the Old Testament. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat for the sake of the one who informed you. And for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? That's the English Standard Version. And that's his teaching there in verses 25 through 30. And in verse 31, he writes, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that's the verse I want to focus on this morning. Wherefore, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, in the immediate context of Paul's teaching about food offered in sacrifice to idols, what he's teaching is obvious, isn't it? In that verse, he's taught that an idol is nothing. 
a no thing. So when pagans sacrifice food to a no thing, the food is not contaminated by this pagan act. And it's okay for a Christian to eat it. Paul's taught that. But then he's raised the issue of conscience and guilt. And guilt is devastating to human beings. And he's emphasized the power of conscience. And he's taught that Christians, listen, he's taught that Christians should not be the cause of people violating their consciences. So take some instruction from this, Christian. You, Christian, you should not be the cause of someone else, an unbeliever, violating his or her conscience. He's taught that it's okay for Christians to eat the food. But if someone says, hey, that was sacrificial meat, indicating that the person who pointed that out is sensitive to that fact. He knows about it and says, whoa, did you know that that was sacrificed to the idol? So obviously it's bothering the person who pointed that out. I think we can see here. Then just defer and say, oh, oh, I'll have, I'll have the broccoli. <laughs> I'll have something else. And listen, I, I believe the take-home message is that the human conscience, listen, the human conscience, even in the lost, is the instrument of God. It's the instrument of God, even in the lost. And Christians should not violate their own consciences, and Christians should not be the cause of other people violating their conscience. You shouldn't encourage someone to violate their conscience. If they say, I don't think that's right, then you should be the last one to say, well, just do it anyway. You'll get over it. Not, not our place, Christian. Not our place. So Paul has all this teaching about conscience and about food, and then at the end of it all, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's verse 31. So I say in the immediate context of Paul's teaching about food offered in sacrifice to idols, what he's teaching in verse 31 is obvious. But, but brothers and sisters, there's an idea embedded in this verse, in verse 31, that supersedes context. And it's the idea, listen, it's the idea that the glory of God is the highest end. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do anything you do to the glory of God. I believe it's embedded there and it supersedes the context, this idea that the glory of God is the highest end. And when I say highest end, we're speaking of means and ends or means to an end. We're really speaking of teleology. The Greek word telos or telos means end. And teleology is an attempt to provide an explanation of something by reference to some purpose, end, or goal or function. Let me give you an example. Consider this. 
What is the purpose or end? What's the telos of a fork? Well, the purpose of a fork is to hold food, right? And we consider that when a fork holds food well, when it efficiently and effectively gets the food from the plate to the mouth, it's a good fork. It has done that for which a fork was designed. When we make that judgment, that's a good fork. Because it's done what a fork was designed to do. It's fulfilled the purpose of the fork. It's achieved its telos, its end. It's done what it was designed to do. It's a good fork. You got the example in your mind. Well, so here a question then. What is the teleology of humanity? Let me ask the question in a different way. I'll ask the question the way the Westminster Shorter Catechism asked the question. And it says, what is the chief end of man? Have you heard that question? And you know the answer? Somebody, yeah, that's right. The answer according to the catechism is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And if you were looking at the catechism right now, right after that first phrase, the chief end of man is to glorify God, there's a little superscript for the references, the the scripture proof text. And in Holy Scripture, what do you think the proof text for that first statement is? 1 Corinthians 10.31. Well, it's our verse. It's our verse. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the second verse reference is this, Romans 11.36, also from Paul, which reads, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And the proof text for the second phrase, to enjoy him forever is the beautiful Psalm 73, verse 24 through 28, which reads, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near unto God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. God will receive us into glory to enjoy him forever. That's the proof text for the second part. But consider our verse. Whether you eat... Or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I believe that that applies to much more than the scenario of food that's offered to idols. I believe that it teaches what the Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches. That the chief end of humanity is to glorify God. And when the old catechism uses that term, man... It wasn't intended to be sexist. 
It was intended to be universal. The catechism was speaking not of the male of the species. It was speaking of anthropos, mankind, humanity. So the catechism teaches, and I believe that the great apostle Paul teaches, that the primary teleology of humanity, the chief end for which mankind was created, the principal purpose of the human species is to bring glory to God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So remember, saints, we're speaking of means and ends And ends should dictate means. And ends, purposes, teleology, it's important. It's important. And what we're saying is that because we are Christians, the chief end, the most important end of our very existence is the glory of God. Is that true? Well, listen, let me ask you then. If that's true, then what is a good human like? If, that, if that's true, that the chief end of man is to glorify God, then what does a good human being look like? Well, listen, recall our earlier example when we described a good fork as one that effectively fulfilled the purpose of a fork. It successfully got the food from the plate to the mouth. That's a good fork. Did what a fork is supposed to do. If we follow that idea, what is a good human like? Well, we would answer, a good human is one who fulfills the purpose of a human. Right? And we've said that the chief end, the primary purpose of humanity, is to glorify God. And moving from the collective to the individual, the highest end of every or any human being is the glory of God. So listen, young people want to know, what what does God want me to do? Sometimes old people want to know, what does God want me to do? Well, listen, the very best thing that I can do, the very best, the highest thing that you can do, the most important thing that any of us will ever do is the thing for which we were created, the thing for which we exist, to bring glory to our God. Saints, we should think about teleology sometimes. And for us Christians, the glory of our God is the most worthy end for us to do or to not do anything. It's the most worthy end. Less worthy ends are things like my own personal happiness. Uh, Listen, your own personal happiness is important, especially to you, isn't it? But that's a less worthy end than to glorify Almighty God. Our country. I did it for my country. That's a less worthy end. Our tribe. I like my tribe. 
A lot. Totally agree. The same same reason why I say bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness it's even better because it has value now and forever. So humanity. Oh, I did it for humanity. I'm a humanist. I love mankind. That's a that's a I, I like I like humans. I am one. You should too. But all those are less worthy motives, less worthy ends than doing what we were made and designed to do. Glorify God. So all those are important, but listen, they should never be chief in our teleology, in, in Christian teleology. Where has the knowledge of the light of the glory of God shined? Where? In the face of Jesus Christ the only begotten Son of the Father. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. Remember this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim, proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Psalm 19, 1-3. That's the New International Version. So, uh, listen, brethren, what is the purpose of the heavens? And I think it's probably multi-purpose, but what is the purpose of the heavens? The heavens above. A starry sky. That's according to the psalmist. It's the same purpose as ours. Same as ours. Well, let me ask you this. Are the heavens above, are they good? Are they achieving their purpose? Yes, sings the psalmist. Yes, they're declaring the glory of God. They're proclaiming His glory. The day and the night are talking, speaking, testifying to the glory of the God that made them. Even displaying the glory of God's greatness, His knowledge, His design... And the talk that the heavens are speaking can be understood in every language. No language barriers. It's the universe shouting. The universe shouting, the very fact that I'm here means that there is something much, much greater than me. The universe is speaking. Um, thinking about the heavens declaring the glory of God, we watch a lot of animal shows, and 
just bear with me for a second. So when you watch, you know, it's a little finch or something, and they're getting parts for their nest, and they're constantly tweaking the nest, bringing feather, you know, just working on this. And we're watching it going, look at those little things. It's, it's God's glory, you know. And then they'll show up penguins that are like hovering over their eggs trying to keep them alive and you know it's you know 30 below and in Antarctica you know and it just goes around the world and showing all these animals and they're not doing anything that's super profound they're doing the thing that they're designed to do and when we watch it we go that God is amazing and unique and creative and and so then if we think about ourselves, you know, when you brush your teeth, is that for God's glory? When the animals that we watched were combing their fur and making themselves beautiful, we thought that was giving glory to God. You know, when you comb your hair, when you clean up your nest, you know. Yeah. It's hard to think that those things have meaning, but they do. It's part of what we are as humans. Amen. Maintain the temple. Exactly. Amen. Well, speaking of that, whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Brethren, how shall we do this? How shall we bring glory to our God in everything, even in the mundane, repetitive things like eating and drinking? Eating and drinking is awesome, right? But it's mundane. When I say mundane, that's not an insult. That's just like it's, it means it's the same old, same old. You eat every day. You drink every day. If you don't, you're not here long. So it's the mundane, the routine. And probably a whole lot could be said about that. But here's an idea. Hear me out on this one for a second, Bill. Because I've thought about this for a while. When my children were small, they didn't often sleep over at friends' houses. But on a few occasions, occasion, some did. And I can remember Jeannie and I telling a child as we dropped them off to spend the night at their friend's house, don't forget who you are. Or something similar. Any of y'all ever do that? And that was a reminder to the child, remember, you're part of this family. You remember that. And the way that you conduct yourself when you're away is going to reflect back on our family. That was all unspoken, but that was the subtext running underneath that, right? And so essentially we were saying to that child, so while you're gone, glorify us. Honor us while you're gone. Honor us in your actions while you're there so that they'll want you to come back again. Right? We wanted them to say, the Cooks must be a nice family. Must be a good family. That's what we were telling our kids, essentially. We were saying, remember who you are when we dropped them off. And brothers and sisters, listen, I think that that might be a good example. I know that we are not supposed to be constantly navel-gazing. I've talked to you about this before. Constantly sitting and wondering, oh, I wonder if this will glorify God. 
I wonder if that will glorify God. Did I tie my shoe to the glory of God this morning? We're not, uh, that's ridiculous. So that's not what he's talking about. That leads to paralysis and probably to psychosis. If you've ever seen somebody that was eaten up by, by that. And I don't think that's what Paul wanted. Maybe it's more like this. When I let my son go stay at his friend's house and I tell him, remember that your name's Cook. When I dropped him off. Maybe it's more like that. Maybe it's more like Paul saying, remember that your name's Christian. Remember that your name is Christian. Whether that is the right interpretation or not, it's true. Let us never act in such a way that it might bring shame upon the name of Jesus. And the other side of that very same coin, I believe, on the other side it says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Flip side, don't dishonor Jesus. Honor Him. Now, I trust that you've thought about this before. And so, are there things you've thought about or ways in which you've resolved to do all to the glory of God? Nina? I think this is kind of related. I remember hearing a sermon one time it was about how the commandment, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, isn't just about saying God's name is like, in a profane way, but it was about claiming to be a Christian and failing to act in accordance with your profession of faith. And so I feel like that's really related to, I mean, in the Old Testament, but it's kind of the other side of the coin. Not only should you be doing everything to the glory of God, but also that's kind of the way you were casting it. It's like, because Mm -hmm. you're part of the household of faith, you have to represent that household, be an ambassador. Right. Right. Here's an example of often re-remembering that we are creatures. You know what a creature is? A creature is something that's created. And we're here for the purpose of glorifying God. And maybe that's a filter. Scott Adams would say, look at it through this filter. Maybe that's a filter through which we can quickly filter thoughts, or contemplated actions. I'm here for a purpose. I'm on a mission from God. How do you how do you glorify God? Brush your teeth? You should brush your teeth. If you don't, you should start. <laughs> I mean, if you think of if you think of it as like being an ambassador, I love the name of that church, Heaven's Glorious Embassy. You know, because we are ambassadors. So, the point of being an ambassador is not only to, you know, go into another culture and kind of teach them about your culture and provide some kind of connection, but um, also to just get to know people, right? And so, I think some people are more personality-wise invested in hospitality, but I think all Christians should be hospitable and open their homes to 
you know, to a greater or lesser extent to people who are seekers, not only to Christians, but to people so they can see what a Christian household looks like, what a Christian family looks like. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the, the greatest ways we can achieve our mission is just by showing people how we live in our home, in our homes. And that's really what Mr. Bill was saying about, like, keeping your nest clean and having everything be orderly. Is like, that's that's not actually really very common in the world we live in, you know? Um, so having a nice home and a family that loves one another and then sharing that with people is a really wonderful way of furthering the mission, I think. Amen. And when I think of the verse, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. And, you know, we, we should be thinking whether it's going to your job, you're not doing it for your boss, you're not doing a good job for your your you know, employer or whether it's your family, you're not trying to be a good wife or spouse for your spouse. You're you know, you should be doing it for the Lord. Like you're mm-hmm. doing it for God, not not for man. So I think that's a good, yeah. good verse to concentrate. Amen. And the context is deference, right? Like, you might not have a problem with it, but you know they do. So just don't do it around them so that they won't have a problem. Mm-hmm. You could, in that same situation, say, "There's idols are nothing. You need to get over it. Give me the, give me the, you know, and then you go ahead and order and eat it anyway. And you can, but is that the loving thing to do when you right. know it bothers your brother and and oftentimes we might think that whatever it is that they're bothered about is foolish or dumb so what aren't you foolish and dumb on many occasions one time somebody emailed the church we had some pictures of people being baptized in Cambodia and one of the people standing by the baptism had no shirt on. It was a man. And somebody emailed us and said, these pictures are really nice and I'm glad. Do you think that you should show man in his nakedness? <laughs> and what do you say? You know, like, come on, bro. He was obviously bothered by it. That's why he emailed us. We, we just removed the one picture. It still showed everything. And did we have to? No. We just, out of deference to him, even though we didn't agree with his position. I would be tempted to say, let me help you get that two before out of your eye. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you don't have to. Yeah. Would you call that grace? Acting with grace, living with grace? Yeah. grace? Yes. I, I can't remember for sure. I want to say he emailed back and said, you know, basically saying, you didn't have to do that. Thank you for doing that. Something like that. We're good. So I, I guess if I, if I had a point in the, or something that I want you to take home, it, this is the glorifying God is is... To, to get it to be concrete takes a whole lot of thought because I think it's more abstract. It's more about being what you are. And, and so that having sort of a holistic 
impact upon your mind. Um, so concrete recommendations would be things like foster or build up the mind of Christ within yourself. We're told by Paul that we have the mind of Christ. Do you have the mind of Christ? What, what does that even mean? Well, I think definitely it would be to be well-versed in the teachings of Christ. Somebody said, well, you're a Christian. What do Christians believe? Well, Christians believe that Jesus is like the man, and we try to follow his teachings. Well, well what did he teach? If somebody said, well, what did he teach? What does that mean? So what do you do that's any different than anybody else? What did Jesus teach? Because there are people in India that follow a guru. When you ask them, what are you? I'm a a disciple of Maha whatever. What does that mean? That means I try to do what he said to do. Well, Jesus is an oriental teacher and he taught some things. We are trying to do those things, aren't we? I I I think we are. He's the only one that revealed all the secrets. Like, he doesn't keep any secrets from his creatures, basically. Those that are willing to listen or hear, they'll get to hear, basically. Yeah. And that's the Hindus and all, they have, every other faith tradition has secrets they keep for their elites. So that's a big difference. I like to point out the books. We're an open book, man. Yeah. It's the one you need. It's not like faith tradition on planets like that, truly. Well, we, we are about out of time, but glorify God. That's what you're made for. Brother Mike Doyle, would you dismiss us, please?